<coughs> okay, so first of all, I've had this little cough, chest cold for about two weeks, a week and a half or something, so be patient with me if I'm like, you know, if I sound like a middle school boy and my voice cracks or I need to get water all the time, just be patient with that, okay? But uh, this morning, obviously, we're doing some things different. We're taking a break from Romans. Um, we have been, since the launch of this church, we have been plowing through, starting with Romans 5, and we've gotten through midway through Romans 7. If you've missed those, I encourage you, go back to the podcast. You, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can get the LifePoint Church app on your phone and, and catch up on the sermons there. Uh, but but to, to hear where we've kind of come from, and today really is taking a step back, taking a breather from all the theological depth that we've been digging and just be like, okay, how does this practically look? What, putting some legs on the theological uh, body that we've been, we've been establishing, the theological ground that we've been laying, what well, we got to put some action to. we got to figure out how that plays out in our lives on an everyday basis. And, and, uh, and so if you haven't... Uh, heard those messages, please go back. But, but, but just to kind of recap as briefly as I can what the gospel is. The gospel is the grace and mercy of God poured out on believers uh, that they would be saved because of Jesus' work on the cross. Now, there's some implications here in that it is nothing in you that deserves salvation. Nothing you've done, nothing that you could have done that would have earned you, merited you, gotten you salvation. That is not how it works. The only way to be saved is the grace and the mercy of God that he would reach down and that he would save you. He would open your blind eyes, that he would bring your dead heart to life. You can't, as a dead individual, you can't bring yourself to life. You needed the Holy Spirit, God to speak the Holy Spirit into you and to bring your spiritually dead heart to life. That's how salvation works. And the reason it works this way is that so none of us can boast. We sit back and we say, all glory to God, all glory to Jesus, all praise be to him, because without him, I would be damned. It's why we can come and sing, you are a good, good father, and it have bigger, bigger implications to us than thank you for giving us you know, the next meal we have. Thank you for giving us a roof over our head. It has much bigger implications than that. Though those are gifts from the Father, it has the implication of you are good, good, and you have chosen me. You have decided to save me. You have pulled me out of my depravity and, and, and given me the Son. And so we can say, good, good Father, with, with a new light, with a new thought, with a new just idea in our mind of, man, he is a good, good father, gracious and merciful, and he's poured it out on us. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that in you is nothing good meriting salvation. It doesn't matter how many widows you help, how many orphans you adopt, how many homeless people you feed. None of that matters for your salvation. Justification is by God alone. Justification is a legal, legal term that means to be made right with God. And the only way that we are made right with God is through Jesus Christ. Quickly, how that happened was Jesus walked this earth a perfect life. He died a death that, that provided for us a substitute 
for the death that we deserve. The wrath of God for our sin poured out on Jesus. Now, when we place our faith and trust into him, into Jesus, into what his, the work he's done on the cross, what happens is the great exchange that he gets my sin, he gets my depravity, he gets my death, and he kills it on the cross, and I get his salvation, I get his perfection, I get his righteousness. Because the only way you can go to heaven is by being perfect. The only way anyone goes to heaven is by being perfect. Now, if, it, if it's left to us, we are damned. None of us are perfect. And so the only way we can be made perfect is to be in the one who is perfect. So when God judges us, when he looks upon us, when we die, and we will all die, death rates 100%, when he looks at us, upon, upon us dying, he will look at us and he will say, are you perfect? And the only way that we will be allowed into heaven is if when he looks at us, he sees perfection that, that, that Christ imputed to us, gave to us, put in us his righteousness. So when then God looks at us, he, he no longer sees David, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. So that is the only way when God looks at us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ, he'll say, come in. Because we've been made perfect. By the blood of Christ. So all the church culture you've heard that the way to be right with God is church attendance and giving money and helping people in need. All that is bogus. That is not how you are saved. The only way to be saved is by Jesus and his cross. And he brings you to life. He regenerates your heart. He brings a dead heart to life. Makes blind eyes see and gifts us faith. So we have faith in the Son. We have faith in all that He's done on the cross, and we are saved. Now, we have taught that when we then are saved, our justification is through God alone, faith alone. And when we are saved, we begin this journey of what is called sanctification, right? And that's just a big word that means we start looking like Jesus, We start becoming holy as Jesus is holy. We start walking as Jesus walked, lived as Jesus lived. We are being sanctified, made more like Christ every day of our life. So we start this journey, and that's what produces in us the desire, the the work towards doing good works, good deeds. It's what it's it's he has changed our hearts to begin to walk as Jesus walked. So doing good deeds does not merit salvation. Doing good deeds is what is produced from having salvation. This is the gospel. This is what we have been talking over the past two months, that there is no salvation apart from Christ alone. It is his to give, and he gives it by his grace and mercy. And and those who have been given that salvation then walk as Jesus walked. This is the gospel. Now, some of you, I know, you... you, uh, you're tired of, you know, I've been preaching this every week for two months, and you're like, dude, would you just preach something else? But I know in your mind, I get it, you're like, I wish you would just preach on tithing. I I want a message that tells me to give all my money to the church and up my tithe from 10% to 30%. I know this is what you're thinking, okay? I I know you you want to give more money. I know that's what you want to do. So uh, I'm just kidding, right? Uh, you know, so, uh, but th- listen, I, 
I hope that I get criticism. If I get a criticism that says, you only preach the gospel every week, then I will praise God. If I get emails that say, do you preach the same thing? If I get an email that says, three out of four weeks, you, you're preaching the same thing, I will email back and apologize for not doing it four out of four weeks. That is the gospel is the only thing that matters. The gospel should be, and even if I preach a message on tithing, and I will, the only, if I preach a message about that, it will be rooted in the gospel. How the gospel causes us to be gracious givers as Christ was a gracious giver. That every message that we preach will be rooted in and grounded in and founded in the gospel. If Paul said, I, I desire nothing but to preach Christ and him crucified, that's what I want to do too. And so, that's, that's the gospel. What you've heard is the gospel. And today I hope that we put some legs on. If, if the gospel takes root in your heart, what it should do. Now, a couple of things I want to talk about. <coughs> the importance of preaching pro, uh, the gospel to the church. First one on a personal level. As I preach, as we hear the gospel on a personal level, as we have preached to us the gospel on a personal level, what it does in us is it continues to build in our minds, in our hearts, the understanding and belief that our salvation was because of Christ and his mercy alone. So it causes us to be more dependent upon him and therefore more intimate with him. And so as we preach the gospel on a personal level, it, 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 it wells up in us faith. Because what faith is, it is a, okay, I, I depend upon you, I trust in you, I, I, I put my faith, hope, trust, life into you. And, and, and all the while growing more and more intimate with him. This is what the gospel does. As we hear the gospel, we further put our trust and dependency upon the cross and the gospel. Another thing that happens when we preach... Um, when we, when we preach the gospel in the church is that it, it, it builds community and unity among believers. Why? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I will rehash it quickly. When we preach the gospel, we realize very quickly that we are all on common ground. That we were all dead in sin. So there is not one person in here that can look at another person and say, Before Christ, I was so much better than you. No, we were all depraved, we were all dead in sin, we were all hopeless. So we all had that in common. Now, we were born sinners. We were coming in this world spiritually dead. How that sin took root specifically in your life, whether it was drug addiction or porn addiction or, or, or just lying and white lies or, 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 or whatever, however that played out, it doesn't matter because it, what matters is that we were all there. Now, whether the, the depth of our cultural understanding of that depravity doesn't matter. What matters is that we were all there. We were all dead. We were all sinners, right? And, and, and that was common ground for us. So, so then we can step into now, those of us that are, are in Christ have been saved, and the common ground for us is none of us deserved salvation, so there is no believer that can stand up in here and say, look at me, God is lucky to have me on his team. I can't believe that guy's at church. He don't need to be here. None of us can say that. 
all of us can look at our own lives and say, I don't deserve any of the graces that God pours out on me. None of them. That's common ground for us to say, Christ gave us salvation. We did not deserve it. Praise be to Christ to save a wretch like me. And so when we preach the gospel, we get a further understanding and a further unity. We have common ground. We, we all huddle around these identities. You know, like you have, you have uh, cultural affiliations. I, 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 I talked I talk today with Tennessee fans about the win last night. Right? That's some affiliations we gather around. Right? And we'll huddle and we'll talk, blah, blah, blah. He should have done this. He didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. Right? But we get together. That's what the church is. It is a, an affiliation, a coming together on the common ground that we were sinners. Christ gave us salvation. None of us deserve it. And now we praise him for it. That's the commonality. That's what happens when we preach the gospel. We come together. That's what happens. Um, and so today I'm going to build on some of these truths uh, uh, to, to say not only is it good for us to preach the gospel in here, but we have a, a, a biblical mandate to preach the gospel outside of these walls. So today, I really want to put some, some, some motor to the, the theological structure that we've been building. I, I really want to get some legs on this thing, okay? Because uh, if we just sit around and talk theological gospel every Sunday, and it doesn't translate into any movement in our lives, then I think we are mishearing the gospel. And so uh, today, I want us to specifically focus on getting the gospel outside of these walls, uh, specifically the gospel, when it's taken root in our heart, it produces in us a, a longing to spread the good news. That's why it's called good news. You know why it's called news? Because it's to be shared. News is to be spread. News is to be translated from one person to another person. It's to, it's to go forth. That's what news does. And we have the best news of all, which is the gospel. And so when the gospel takes root in our heart as believers, it, it produces in us, wells up in us, a, a living scent, a going. Um, and and, um, and so we're, we're, so we're going to put some practical gospel on the ground legs to this thing, okay? Now, uh, we, so uh, in evangelism, we've all seen abusive evangelism tactics, right? I mean, I talked to one, about one a couple weeks ago. I talked about the guy, Brother Jed, who was uh, on the UT College campus, who was like, I used to be a sinner. I used to go to the movies, right? And so he had this a concept that going to the movies was like the worst thing ever. Or he'd say, you college kids with your sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, he'd do that. And, and so we've all been part of abusive evangelism tactics, right? I remember another one. I, I went to this uh, mission trip to Vegas. We went to Vegas on a mission trip, and there was these uh, guys in front of the Bellagio with these huge signs and specific, you know, they say, you're going to burn in hell, all this, you know. And there was one specific sign that just had a list of sins on it, sins I had never heard of before. I'm like, what is that? You know, like, I'm learning stuff, right? And I go up and talk to them, and I'm like, guys, do you think this is the best way to share the gospel? And then while, as I'm talking to them, these two Mormon guys come up, and I, I start talking to them because they don't know the gospel either. So I start teaching them the gospel. And 
And, and then while I'm doing that, one of those street preacher guys, there was a, a, a bigger girl in our group, and, and he, he straight looks at her and he goes, Glutton! And the pastor that was with us, with our trip at the time, he gets up in that guy's face and basically threatens to knee him in the, in, in, uh, and my wife, my five foot two wife separates the two men. <laughs> it was great. We weren't, she wasn't my wife at the time. And so that's what made me want to marry her. Uh, but that is an abusive evangelism tactic, right? Uh, maybe you have been a server at a restaurant, right? And someone left you a track instead of a tip, right? By the way, if you're a believer, please don't do that. That's just classless, okay? If you want to leave a track, then you leave a tip that makes them want to read that track, okay? Uh, and, uh, or, or maybe you, you have been, you know, you know uh, Facebook is like the Christian track in modern era, right? I mean, like, we're going to put something on Facebook. It's just whatever, right? Or, or maybe you've been experienced like cold turkey evangelism, just someone walking up on the straight, street to you and like, what happens if you die today? I don't know. I die today? I don't know, right? And so, you know, if you have experienced, first of all, let me say this. If you have experienced some evangelism tactic that is, that is um, aggressive or, or, or that it is more offensive than the gospel, right? The gospel is offensive enough. We don't have to be the one that is offensive, right? The gospel, let the gospel be offensive, right? Not because we're punks, right? That, 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 that is not, we don't have to be offensive in our character and, and in our personalities. The gospel is offensive enough. This, the people coming to the realization that they are sinners is offensive enough, right? And so we don't have to be that. If you have experienced some kind of uh, terrible methodology of evangelism like that, let me be the one to say, on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Now, I don't know the person that wounded you or harmed you or, or the person that stood before you and told you whatever they told you. I don't know their motives. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that their motives were good. They, they wanted the best for you. They wanted you to experience eternity with God as opposed to eternity in hell. I'm going to assume that about them. I don't know that for sure, but I'm going to assume that. But maybe they haven't been discipled in the right methodologies of sharing the gospel. They, they, they only know to be that kind of aggressive street preaching whatever, Okay. And so on behalf of them, I'm sorry, but don't let someone's methodology, someone's wounds keep you from the truth of the gospel. And if you're not a believer in this room, I think that God is working in you to overcome those things or you would not be in church today. And so hear me say, hear the gospel, get past people because people are, 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 we mess things up all the time. Get past people to hear the heart of the gospel, to hear the truth of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, if you get to the end of your life and you tell God, I didn't accept the gospel because the way that God presented it, it will not matter. It will only matter that you rejected the gospel. That's all that will matter. 
Not the reasons why you rejected the gospel, just that you rejected the gospel. Uh, so, so uh, and, and for the believer, I know that there are many roadblocks for you sharing the gospel. So today, I hope to encourage you in a couple of ways so that you can share the gospel. And, and there are ways that you are evangelistic, naturally evangelistic already, right? If you go to a great restaurant, what do you do? Do you not tell anyone about that? Like if you get this four-course meal for under five bucks, what are you going to do? I'm tweeting this out, baby. Right? Instagram burrito right there. Right? That's what you're going to do. You're going to tell people about that restaurant. That's, that's on a smaller scale evangelistic. It is telling someone news. It, it, is, it, is, it is spreading the word about something. Right? You women, like you go shopping. Man, we go shopping, we go in, we know exactly what we want. We know exactly where it is that what we want is. We know where it is. We go straight in, we pick it up, we don't look at anything else, we tunnel vision to the cashier, we pay for it, and we leave. That's what men do. What women do is quite different than that. They will go into this store and just browse around. And then men, listen to this, you know this, if you're married, they will actually leave without buying anything. That doesn't make any sense in my mind. If I'm going to the store, I'm, buy, I'm walking out of there with something. Otherwise, it's a waste of my time, right? I, I'm not going into the store and coming out empty-handed. I'm on a mission, right? But women, they'll go to three, four stores and go home and say, I didn't, nah, I didn't get anything. What? Are you serious? This is what they do. But listen, when the women buy a nice blouse or boots or whatever it is, you know, we just, we're simple, jeans and shirt. But, they, you know, they got all these accessories, right? When they get some of that stuff and other women brag on them, they say, where did you get that? What do they do? Oh, I got it down here, wherever you got it, right? Unless you're stingy, you're like, I ain't telling you where I got this. I'm going to send you to Walmart. I got it at Walmart. I want to be the only one wearing this scarf. I got it at Walmart. God, they probably still got them, Right? But no, you share. Hey, I got this at, you know, Dillard's or wherever you got it, right? That, that's in a smaller scale some form of evangelism. And, and in, in some ways our clothes, what we do with our clothes is also some of the gospel because we will sacrifice comfort, right, for what it looks like, right? Case in point, skinny jeans. There's no way those things are comfortable. No way. Not possible, right? Uh, but every musician has them. I don't. Maybe it makes them sing higher. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, was that appropriate? I don't know. I might be fired. Sorry about that. Okay, I probably need to read the Bible. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's move on before I get in trouble. All right, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our bottom line today is go and make disciples. That's what I'm encouraging you, imploring you to do. We see in this passage, first of all, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, so what we need to know is that if we are in Christ and we have been given the Holy Spirit to reside in us, we are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God in us, right? If that has happened, then all authority has been given in heaven and in earth. It's been given to the Son, the Son that we proclaim to the masses, the Son that we preach with our lives, the Son that we share the gospel about. Therefore, all authority in heaven and earth goes with us as we share the gospel. That's what it does, okay? And then he says, that's why he says, go, therefore, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, you can go in my power, in my blessing, in my providence, you go. It's been given to me, you go. Go and do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, right? So, a couple things here. Jesus spent a lot of time preaching. He, he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He, 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 oftentimes, he preached the, the multitude of 5,000 or 4,000. He spent a lot of time preaching. But I would argue his primary, his, his primary way of evangelism was discipleship. It was through his 12 disciples. He spent the majority of his time with these 12. Specifically, he spent even more time with three of them. And so Jesus poured out himself. He knew the best way to spread his fame, his glory, who he was, was by multiplying himself, by making disciples. That's what Jesus was doing. And I, I just... Robert Coleman, a guy, he, he said this, Jesus' concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men the multitudes would follow. Uh, you, we can't program evangelism. You can't program true discipleship. I mean, we can do small groups and we can do other things, but there, there, if it is not the gospel welling up in you, organically growing you and moving you to spread that gospel, programs won't matter no matter how many we do. No matter how much, okay, LifePoint Church is going to put on this event. You invite all your friends to this event. No matter how many times we do that, that is not the most effective way of, of evangelism or discipleship. The most effective way of evangelism, I believe, in an incarnational evangelism, that Christ in you. The Bible says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you literally, the Bible calls you the light of the world. You. Okay? Not just a pastor, not an organization, the believer. If you have been saved, you are saved to go. You are saved for a purpose. That's what Jesus continues to communicate. Um, you know, disciple is a person or a pupil, uh, an adherent of the doctrines of another, a follower. So, in order to, to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. You have to be a follower, first of all, of Christ. Hopefully you have someone who has discipled you, taught you the Bible, taught you the things that Jesus has taught you. Maybe you, like me, I didn't have really one person who discipled me, just kind of the Lord walked me through those things. Unfortunately, I didn't have someone, so I had to, had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Hopefully you had a disciple that could really speak into your life the truths of the Bible. But if you didn't, let that be a motivation to you to make disciples, be a discipler of other people. This is what God has commanded us to do, to go and make disciples. Now, a couple of things I want you to understand about <coughs> Jesus' strategy of discipleship. He went out and got non-believers. Jesus goes out, he calls the 12 disciples, and they were a rough group of, of individuals. They were fishermen. 
uh, they, I'm, I'm sure that they didn't have the cleanest mouths, right? They were tax collectors. No one likes tax collectors. Uh, they were betrayers. They were a rough group of individuals. And, and Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. Somewhere along the way in church culture, we've seen discipleship as nothing more than an incubator for baby Christians. While that does serve as a, a purpose, we need to bring in baby Christians, people who have already been converted and raise them up to be mature Christians. Yes, that is true. But one of the primary functions of making disciples is evangelism. So we need to bring people into the fold that are not yet believers. And the way that discipleship will look will be very different on, on different people. Some of you will, will have some neighbors and some folks you'll invite into your small group. And that will be the beginnings of discipleship for them. Uh, maybe for some of you it's just, you know, water cooler talks at work. You're just talking to folks and, and you get the opportunity to share the gospel. And you see them every day. You eat lunch with them every day. So you take that opportunity to begin to disciple them. What that looks like for you, the, the tangibles of that, I can't tell you. you. You have to decide that, let God lead you through that. But part of discipleship is with non-believers. You should be drawing in non-believers for discipleship. Uh, so Jesus did this, and, and a couple of things that, why I tell you that, why it's important is that uh, we, we, obviously we should be seeking non-believers. What that means is that you're going to have to get your hands dirty in ministry. We have to stop insulating ourselves from non-believers. If we spend all of our time with only believers, I think we're missing the boat here. Jesus got his hands dirty. He dealt with the problems of Jewish religious school dropouts, tax collectors, sinners. You know, he did that. That's what he did. And that's what he's has called us to do, to get our hands dirty in ministry. Stop trying to insulate yourself from lost people. Get rid of sin. Don't participate in sin. But that doesn't mean you don't get your lives in the mix with lost people. It's what you should be doing. That's why he said, the light of the world, do you light a candle and then put it under a bushel? No. You don't. It, it's like this room in here. If it was fully lit and you're the light of the world, you, you have a flashlight, you light it up, we're going to barely see that flashlight. But if I turn out every light in this room and shine one light, everyone's going to see it. Why? Because the light was made to shine in the darkness. If you have been made a light, you have then also been made to shine in the darkness. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's what believers should be doing, right? A another implication of this is that we have to change, we have to change in our minds what it looks like, what success looks like. Because our culture is butts in the seats. If we have a bunch of people, numbers we can count, heads we can count, then we're, we're successful, but biblical success has nothing to do with that. Biblical success is faithfulness. Are you faithful and obedient to what God is calling you to do? 
This is why you can go to a foreign nation and preach the gospel and preach the gospel, faithfully preach the gospel and see no, nobody convert, no one come to Christ and maybe even give your life for the sake of the gospel and you would get to heaven and God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because our success is in our, the pleasure of our Father, our faithfulness and obedience to Him. Now, if God should so bless to use us to save the multitudes, to use us to preach the gospel and, and use the, the gospel spoken through us to, to bring the dead to life, then we praise God for that. And thank Him for the blessing of being a part of that. If He doesn't do that, we still praise God for that and thankful for the opportunity to share the gospel and to preach the good news. Our faithfulness and obedience is our measure of success as believers. Another implication of this is that it means that you have to be willing to be vulnerable and deal with heartache, heartbreak. Uh, hello, Judas. Jesus dis discipled Judas for three years, just like all the other disciples, and Judas stabbed him in the back, kissed him on the cheek, and gave him over to the authorities. So there will be times in your, in your ministry and all of you sh believers should have a ministry. I'm not talking about a program. I'm talking about your life should be a ministry. There are going to come times in that ministry that you're going to experience heartache. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. There's going to be times that people stab you in the back. There's going to be times where they tell you, no, I don't want any part of that, and I don't want any part of you. And Jesus says, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. He also says, take comfort in the fact that if they reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, Jesus says. And so, again, this is why we can know that our success is based upon our faithfulness and obedience to do the biblical command to go and make disciples. Are you being obedient to the Father in doing that? Uh, I want to spend a couple, uh, just a minute, wrapping up and telling you and asking you, what are you doing to disciple or evangelize other people? You should be doing this. As a believer, the gospel should have taken root in your heart and begin to well up a desire in you to share and spread that gospel. What are you doing? Are you living sent in your neighborhoods? Are you living sent in your workplaces? Does your family know where you stand with the gospel? Are you being obedient to go and make disciples? Uh, one of the things we're going to kick off in the spring, again, I I'll tell you this several times, but we're going to kick off small groups. And my desire is not that we go, okay, you 10 people get together for a small group, and then you 10 people get together for a small group, and you guys back there, you get together for a small group, and then you 10, y'all get together. That's not my desire. My desire is that we would say, okay, you couple and you couple, you four get together, and then the influence that God has given you in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, at the ball field, would then fill up your small group with non-believers to talk about Jesus. 
that they would be missional communities, at least at the beginning of this thing. Hopefully they will grow into mature small group. Hopefully they will become believers. Their eyes will come open to the gospel. They will see Jesus for who he is. It's truly beautiful. They will, they will come and be a part of that. And your, your, the spiritual maturity of that group will grow and grow and grow to the point to where you have genuine accountability, genuine worship, genuine Bible study, those types of things. But I would hope that some of you would say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry my desire with living sin, with my, de- with, with, with my desire of making disciples, and I'm going I'm to bring them into my group. Though it's going to be messy, though it's going to be nasty, though it's going to not look as, as clean and dry, cut and dry as some other groups I've seen. It's going to come with some heartache. It's going to be getting my hands dirty, but that's what I'm going to do. And that's, that's what we're going to challenge our church to do. And some of you aren't ready for that. Some of you still need to be discipled. And if that's you, praise God. Praise God you're here. Praise God you've come to the awareness that, hey, I still need to be discipled. I'm not ready to, to, to lead a group. Okay? You're still ready to make disciples in whatever realm God has put you in because that's why you're saved in those realms. Make Jesus famous. But maybe you're not ready to lead a group. Okay. That's great. Glad you let me partner you up with a mature couple, a mature believing couple, and you two go go after the world. <laughs> Preach the gospel. Missional communities. But maybe some of you are ready to lead a group. You you have been in the church, you have been a believer for more years than some people have been alive. You're ready to lead a group, and you need to step up in obedience and do that. Uh, you can let me know that. There's a, there's a, a small groups, lifept.org slash small groups. There's a lead small groups thing on there. I want to know that. We're going to train those up and launch those in the spring or well, beginning of the next year. Another way the gospel needs to take root specifically in our local body is through service. Uh, not just... The, this and it needs to be here and out there but here there's plenty of opportunity we have production team that gets here every morning at 5 a.m we have the the setup teams for preschool and kids and students that get here at 7 a.m uh, and there's child care that the, there are teams that are rocking babies there was a there was a lady in the first hour maybe you're in here and you you had the sole responsibility of watching my daughter that's all you did because she cried the entire hour right hour and a half let's be honest so long I preach. Okay? Praise God for you. We need more of you because that person will go insane watching my daughter every week, right? We need more people to just watch my child alone, okay? But there are areas of service that you can serve the church. Uh, student ministry, we meet on Wednesday nights. They're, they're, they're doing a bonfire this week, I think. They, they need, you know, someone to come, somebody to come hang out with students and share the gospel, right? Cook some hot dogs. I don't know what they're doing. Bring some pallets to burn. I don't know. They may have all that. I'm not sure. But then also outside of this church, how are you serving your neighborhood? How are you serving? How are you living sent in your workplaces? How are you serving your family? How are you doing the things that God has biblically commanded us to do? Go and make disciples. How are you serving? How are you making disciples? How are you evangelizing outside of these walls? That's the question for the believer this morning. If you're a non-believer and you're like, dude, what in the world are you talking about? Listen, you, you just focus on the gospel. Once the gospel takes root in your life, you'll understand everything else. 
Because once the gospel takes root in your life, everything changes about how you view the church, how you view the world, how you view your money, how you view everything. When the gospel takes root in your life, everything's different. And matter of fact, me talking about sharing the gospel, that doesn't even register with you because you, you can't spiritually see why there's a need to do that. So you focus on the gospel. Before the believer, you focus on the gospel and then letting the gospel go forth through you. Go, church, because of the authority given to Christ and make disciples of all nations. And within all nations is the borough. So be intentional about your everyday living. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Our goal as a church is to make disciples that make disciples. We want to be disciples of Christ and make disciples of Christ. We want to very uh, passionately shine forth the light that you have made us to be. We very passionately and very, very just, very eagerly want to be Christ to a world that doesn't know him, the hope of glory, Christ in us. We want to take Christ to every venue that you've given us, that you've afforded us, that you've blessed us to put us in. Father, help us to go and make disciples. Help us to have a burden for sharing the gospel that every ear would rightly hear the gospel. Help us to be servants that, 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 that chase after the world through how we love them, how we serve them, and how we share with them. And Father, um, would you graciously um, pour out in us just uh, the gospel message over our hearts, over our minds, over and over so that we can fully depend on you in our lives, in our evangelism, that, that when we preach the gospel, the results are up to you. You are the, the, the only one who can raise the dead, and so you are the only one that can have produ produce uh, results in salvation, but we're called to be obedient. Help us to be obedient and faithful, God. Help us to be a church that, that is uh, the characteristic of this church is faithfulness and obedience to everything God is calling us to do. I pray, God, you would work in us in that manner. Jesus, thank you for a church that says we're going to pursue Christ and pursue making him known. We love you, Jesus. Amen.